With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello here and welcome again to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Robin Washett. Nate Klaus says it's been a pretty busy week. We're in June, but we've got camps going on, Friday Night Lights and 7-on-7 this weekend for Nebraska. That's all open to the media, so we'll have complete coverage of that. But the coaches have also been on the road with their speaking tour events, so we've spent a lot of time doing that. But rule changes, we start off today's show uh, with a major rule change uh, that has gone down in college football. Starting this season, the NCAA will allow true freshmen to play in up to four games before they have to make a redshirt decision on their year. And this is big because I think uh, all of us can you know look back at situations for Nebraska um, over the last several years where there have been a few guys where you would like to have maybe seen them play one, two, three, maybe four games just to kind of see what kind of player they are and if they're really somebody that can help Nebraska or we've seen that guy that plays three or four games and then they you realize they're not ready and then they get uh, put on the back burner. They lose that year of eligibility. Recently, Nathan Gary's a guy that you could say that about. Even Josh Banderas, two guys that played about three or four games in minor roles for Bo Pelini and then they you know, more or less wasted a redshirt opportunity um, in that situation. Well, under this new rule, you could say, you know what? Start a Big Ten play. We're going to redshirt these guys. We think it will do them better, Robin. And and this is going to be big, um, especially with how you manage your 85-man scholarship roster going forward. Yeah, this is one of the few times I can remember the NCAA doing something that strictly benefits players. I mean, they don't really gain much from this. This was actually something that um, probably should have been done a long time ago. It makes total sense. And I guess better late than never uh, to hat tip the NCAA for finally making this move uh, because we've seen... Um, essentially entire years of eligibility wasted um, by just the unknown of if a guy's ready or not, or if the time is right to burn a red shirt. And now you have a lot more flexibility in making that decision, not only for coaches to see if a guy's ready, um, but you also have the the luxury of, you know, latent seasons when attrition starts to roll up with injuries. Um, You can play a guy for the final four games uh, potentially of the season um, to add more depth. And, you know, as the the grind of a a season goes on, that can be a huge luxury um, for coaches and the teams themselves. So I think this is a win for the players. It's a win for the teams. And again, something that uh, was a long time coming. It's definitely a win for everybody involved. I I think that it does add a new layer of strategy, though, when it comes to the coaching staff, um, you know, with how they plan to to use this and, and kind of uh, who who they want to play and and when they want to play them, you know, when it comes time to putting together travel rosters, especially early on in the season, when you've got some young newcomers that you think may be ready, but you're not exactly sure, you know, do you put them on the travel roster and in in place of maybe some more established walk-ons? Uh, like, how how do you handle that? I mean, there's going to be some some strategy involved here, and, and I'm sure that that now that the rule is official, Nebraska is kind of taking a look at okay, how are we gonna how are we gonna take advantage of this? How are we gonna utilize this rule to our advantage? Yeah, it makes having home games early on really important. And you know, for Nebraska, they will open up with three straight home games. Where even that Colorado game will be in Lincoln, but that fourth game at Michigan, the Big Ten opener. To get a 70-man travel roster when you now have 85 available scholarship guys that can travel that you don't have to make registered decisions on on top of your walk-ons, that is going to be a good story that week, Robin, to kind of figure out who that travel roster is going to be because then when Nebraska goes on on the road again, I believe Wisconsin might be their next road game um, after Michigan. 
who will be on that Wisconsin travel roster versus who are the guys that went out to Michigan. Yeah, and so that's probably the one negative to this is, you know, you have these established walk-ons that um, would normally, uh, prior to this rule, uh, be shoe-ins to make it to the 70-man roster. But now, like you said, the coaching staff is going to have to make some tough decisions um, because you're going to have the true freshman quarterback or whatever it may be um, available to you. Um, and are you going to weigh, you know, bringing this highly touted guy over a walk-on tight end? I mean, probably. And so that's going to be, you know, some some guys that aren't going to go on some of those trips as a direct result of this. But again, I think that's a, in the grand scheme of things, small for, thing. for the program, that's a small price to pay. And here's another aspect to this that I was just thinking about. It was the, the competitiveness of practices throughout the course of the season, because you have young guys that, you know, sometimes might get disengaged as the season goes on, knowing they're going to redshirt and kind of just throw, using this as a throwaway year. Now you're going all the way into November um, with a potential chance to see the field at zero cost to your you know, future eligibility. Um, that's a big time incentive to have these young guys continue to bring it every single day, which will only help development and only help everybody else around them. And then uh, look at the bowl game situation going on right now. Uh, the Christian McCaffreys, the Leonard Fournettes, who are no longer playing in bowls. That's uh, a big thing. That, that Now all of a sudden you don't even have to worry about eligibility when that happens to you as, as a coach, when your star player decides... Mm-hmm. You know, this bowl game isn't worth it to me. Okay, great. Now we have a great showcase to play a true freshman. Who's Patrick worked, O'Brien who's, could have played. Exactly, exactly. So perfect example. So, I mean, I, th- I think that the pros so significantly outweigh the cons in this situation that um, this is going to be good for everybody. Yeah, I, I really like the the bowl game aspect to that. I mean, you're not only are you going to have guys at your disposal to, to play in case other guys choose not to or, or if there's injuries or whatever the case may be, but – you can also kind of use that game even more as a springboard to, to head into to the offseason and into the next season uh, with a lot of those young guys that, that maybe didn't get a chance to play a ton, uh, but you know now are going to have the opportunity to, to at least get some experience and, and do a few things in the bowl game. So, um, yeah, definitely a, a lot of layers of, of intrigue to this rule, but um, you know as a whole, I, I'm a big fan of it. What we don't know, though, is so if you played game one or two, and then they said, you know what, we're going to hold you back. Right. Can you pick and choose and your games? Can you go game 10 and 11 then? Like, or once you play in that first game, it's the next four. It's the total of those four. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I would think in the situation of, say, Patrick O'Brien, when Nebraska was in dire need of a quarterback against Iowa and then against um, Tennessee, O'Brien could have played and started those two games and preserved that redshirt year. Um, back in that season when Riker Fife broke his wrist against Maryland and Tommy Armstrong had the torn hamstring, mm-hmm. um, where a guy you know like um, Patrick O'Brien could have played. And you know, even Tristan Jebbia technically could have gotten some reps this year, say at Minnesota, when uh, they wanted to maybe get him some opportunities in that game when it was out of hand and it was O'Brien in there just getting him. You know, O'Brien gets sacked like three straight yes. plays yes. on a three-man rush. <laughs> oh, That's a whole other segment. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, that, that will be interesting to see because I, I don't know the full clarification. We'll be around coaches and people this weekend, and we should be able to get a better read on that. Yeah, and if it is a deal where you have to, you basically start your four game clock as soon as you play, then I think you're basically going to see it broken up into guys playing right away to see if they're ready, or guys at the very end of the season to help provide depth and then get them ready going into the off season. I don't think you'll see then anything in the middle of the year, um, just because of the value at the beginning and end of the seasons is too far greater. Well, it's going to make Nate, I think, a higher priority to try to get. I mean, maybe an FCS game on the schedule because. That would be a game that you could try these guys in more and give them opportunities where if you're scheduling an AAC team or another Power Five, a, a, a Wyoming, a more quality non-conference type team, odds of getting a lot of young guys like that a chance to play under this new rule are going to be a lot harder. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when when's the last time where Nebraska had a game that was such a blowout that you had – second and third team guys getting out on the field. Idaho State's one that I remember. Yeah, I mean, but they don't come around all that often, or they haven't at least uh, in in recent history. So, um, yeah, I think that that may may increase the importance of of having more of a, I don't know what, an FCS team or or a a lower level team where where you know that you've got a a, there's a good chance that you're going to handle them uh, decisively and, and have an opportunity to get a lot of young guys out there 
there to see what they're made of. Yeah, you think about – I'm looking back at some of the past schedules. 2014, Florida Atlantic would have been a game. Uh, they won 55-7. to uh, But then the next week they only beat McNeese State by seven points. Yeah, uh, Fresno State was a blowout win. Uh, they, they beat Miami by ten. But, yeah, within the Big Ten, you just don't get very many games like that anymore. So I think that's why – there should be more of a priority to hopefully give it get a game that you're going to play a lot of these guys, especially if the rule allows you to do it. Yeah, and so that's kind of the the interesting aspect of can you pick and choose because obviously we're going to be more ideal situations um, than uh, you know, going into the heart of Big Ten play. All right, when we come back, uh, the coaches were on the road this week. Uh, Nate, Robin, and I were out in McCook, Kearney. Uh, Robin was down in Auburn. Nate was up in Fremont. Um, had a lot of different conversations with um, different people from Bill Moose, uh, to the coordinators for Nebraska. We'll give our thoughts from the road tour and some of the information we learn next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washa, Nate Klaus, as we just broke down the new redshirt rule that came into effect for college football starting this season. And it's also been a busy week for the Husker coaches. Um, camps again uh, this weekend in Lincoln, Friday Night Lights. It's open to the fans uh, the next two Friday nights, as well as the 7-on-7 seven seven camp that will take place on Saturday uh, will be going on with the Lineman's Camp. But during the week, Nebraska used Monday and Tuesday as an opportunity to make their rounds uh, make the rounds around the state of Nebraska. They were all the way out to places like Scotts Bluff and Gehring, um, even all the way down to the far corners of the state, South Sioux City, down to Auburn. Um, it was probably as extensive of a speaker's tour as we've seen Nebraska ever do. Every assistant coach, for the most part, was out. Um, you had some office staff members out. We used it as an opportunity to get out to a lot of these places. Um, I know, Robin, let's start with you first. You were out in Auburn. Uh, Bill Moose, Nebraska's athletic director, was out there, as well as offensive line coach Greg Austin. And, you know, you, you learned a lot of interesting stuff, but I think maybe the most interesting thing you picked up was about the future of the roster and some of the um, lengths that Nebraska may go to get to the number of players Scott Frost wants. Yeah, basically, since Frost took over, he's hinted that he's wanted to increase Nebraska's roster, which is right around 135 right now, uh, up to 150. So essentially 15 new walk-ons on a full-time basis. And so um, there's a lot of logistics that go along with that, um, particularly because of the issues involved with Title IX. Um, you know, you have to have so many, an, an equal number of just athletic roster spots between the men's and women's sports. And so by adding 15 football players, you got to either subtract 15 spots from other men's sports, um, eliminate an entire men's team, or uh, add uh, a new women's team or, or roster spots there. So, I mean, there's a lot of ways Nebraska could go here. And Bill Moose said they're exploring everything. Um, you know, they, there's, I think, probably a, a decent chance that they're going to look heavily into adding another women's sport um, just to balance that out. Um, but he's also talked about in the past at other schools um, when they wanted to increase football um, roster numbers, uh, they've taken away from track and field just because that's the highest number of athletes um, available on his individual team. Um, so you're potentially looking at you know cutting 15 spots off the, the men's track and field team. Um, I don't know if that's ideally the way they want to go. In fact, Bill Moose says, I don't like to cut sports, and so he probably doesn't want to cut opportunities for other athletes. Um, so I think this is probably going to be something where um, they just add another – women's sport, whether it's rowing or, or whatever it may be, um, you know, I think that's probably the way they're going to go. But it seems pretty certain that there will be um, an increased roster and get that number up to 150. And a lot of that just has to do with Frost, uh, the way he likes to practice. Um, they need more bodies uh, to get through the practices just because of the pace um, in which they play. Uh, but also, uh, it increases your opportunities to, to secure more in-state talent with walk-ons. And obviously we've seen the work they've done on the walk-on front already. Having 15 more available opportunities for in-state kids to develop within your program uh, and not have them go somewhere else, uh, I think is really appealing to Scott Frost and to Bill Moose. You're listening here to the Husker Alliance show as we talk about the roster size. And yeah, yeah, there are a lot of ways you can do this. I was talking to one coach on campus at Nebraska and he said a way to kind of get around that Title IX number is you add more women's distance runners on the track team. Um, that is like a very obviously inexpensive way yeah. um, to, to to boost your numbers. And um, they may only get to compete in a couple of 
small events. They're not going to be, you know, in the conference meets. They're not going to be at a high level. Uh, the biggest cost for Nebraska is the gear. And then the academic counselors, the academic counselors have to, you know, advise them and, and, and that really can stress them. But it will be interesting to see what they do. Um, if they can just add a sport like rowing, like you said, something that's very inexpensive that they've already got a club program mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. Another wrinkle too, you, you mentioned cost, uh, that goes with the football team as well. Adding 15 more spots. Um, there's some financial implications there because obviously football players command a lot of resources, um, just with the equipment, with, um, lock, get a laptop. locker room size. Uh, I mean, you're adding a, a lot, you know, a lot of more bodies to a room where, I mean, basically it wasn't built for 150 people. So, um, there's a lot of layers involved here in, in getting this done, but uh, you can really get the sense that they are fully committed to, to this happening within the next two to three years, and it'll be interesting to see the steps they take to get there. Nate, you were out in uh, Fremont, and Nebraska's defensive coordinator, uh, Eric Shenander, was there, along with defensive backs coach Travis Fisher. And, you know, I think the biggest thing that came out of there was the black shirts and kind of the thought process of what they want to do and, and kind of how they want to hand them out, et cetera. Yeah, that was uh... – you know, a, a, a big thing, you know, kind of the hot topic uh, item, I guess you could say, has always been kind of the, the black shirt talk and, and how uh, every time when there's a new staff, you know, how are these guys going to handle it? Or are they going to uh, just keep it at 11 and hand it out before the season starts? Or are they going to wait until a game is played, whatever? But um, Eric Chenander basically said that this is something that he's not taking lightly. Uh, he's done an awful lot of research. He's reached out to a lot of people, uh, including Charlie McBride and Grant Wistrom, uh, you know, the, the Peter brothers, uh, the Kelseys, Adam Carricker. I mean, a bunch of different, uh, you know, great former black shirts. Plus, you know, you've got Barrett Rude and, and Kenny Wilhite, uh, two former black shirts on, on the staff. But, um, you know, he made it pretty clear that right now he feels like there's not a black shirt on this team, um, that no one's earned it yet. They, that, uh, he doesn't feel comfortable labeling anyone as a black shirt on the team, and and that you know obviously it, it comes down to Scott Frost. He's going to have final decision on on these types of things, but um, you know right now he's probably leaning more towards letting these guys play a game first before they they hand uh, the black shirts out. And uh, through his conversations with Charlie McBride, you know he he let him know that hey, you know what we I don't know if I'm going to have 11 guys right away uh, that that deserve to wear the black shirt and uh, and Charlie you know told Eric Chenander that's fine you know if you only hand out four that's fine if if you've got 14 guys that that are deserving of, of a black shirt that's fine if if you run a three-man front on your defensive line and and your your fourth defensive lineman who's not a starter you know it plays to the level of a black shirt and and lives up to the the expectations of one off the field too then give him one you know it's so um, you know I think that he's kind of got the blessing from from a guy like Charlie and and got a lot of resources and, and information from a lot of great former black shirts so um, you know it's going to be interesting to see kind of how how they decide to handle it but uh, I know that you know there's opinions all across the board on on exactly what the black shirt means and and how it should be handled for yeah sure. I think the biggest controversy has been there have been a few players over the years that have just gotten a black shirt. Because they, they're almost—it's like a participation ribbon. They don't want to upset a guy. They want to play office politics and keep a guy happy. Uh, I'll, I'll throw out a couple. Kevin Williams should not have got a black shirt. No. I mean, you had Vincent Valentine and Malik Collins, the clear starters at defensive tackle, both making money for the Patriots and the Dallas Cowboys. And Kevin Williams was kind of a pouty guy in the locker room, and they didn't give him a black shirt. He was going to be upset about it. Um, and, and he wasn't really a starter. He didn't play starter reps. Uh, he did have his little tirade that he was. He's not a backup. Not a backup. <laughs> but that that's a situation where I think fans took issue with this. Like, why are you giving a guy that's not a black a starter, a true starter, a black shirt? Yeah, I mean, there was a point where there was 16 black shirts handed out. I mean, that's ridiculous. You get like, a lot of defensive back ones handed out. And, and I get it, but, like, yeah. you got to figure out what you're going to do. I mean, the fact that it's been kind of a changing process year in, year out, and a lot of that had to do with Bo Pelini just – um, I think doing it out of spite a lot of yeah. times because he hated the black shirt tradition. Uh, I think that kind of has really soured people on what this is and made it so much of an issue that it shouldn't be. And so I guess, Nate, as you pointed out, I think the best thing about this is you have people that are absolutely dialed in to what the black shirts mean, what they represent, and how they should be handled. You know, whether it's former players on the coaching staff to Charlie McBride being a direct resource. Um, so whatever they decide, I don't think anybody should have 
have any uh, issue with. Because, I mean, they got rid of the fullback, basically, and people have had no problem with Yeah, that. exactly. So, <laughs> I mean, unless they go out and say that, you know, every, you know, the entire two deep gets a black shirt, uh, which I don't think, obviously, they're not going to do. But uh, then I think they really got to just kind of take them, you know, to, that they're going to do what's best and have the best interest of what the black shirt tradition means in mind. Well, here's the other layer to it all, too, is is that and I know some people took exception to to how Chenander said that there's a good chance that they won't hand him out until after at least one game is played but you know there's a motivational aspect to this and and I think with this change they kind of have the opportunity to reset the tradition or or to to kind of reboot it I guess you could say and and start from scratch here and and build the you know set the correct expectations of what a black shirt means and what you have to do to get one um, and so I, I I'm I'm inclined to think that a lot of his comments were uh, meant to be, you know, meant to be heard by the players and kind of a motivational deal as well. All right, when we come back, uh, we're going to hear from a few of Nebraska's coaches. On the road, we had a chance to catch up with offensive coordinator Troy Walters in Kearney. You'll hear from Coach Walters next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, as we're making our way through the month of June, it's been very busy the last few weeks. You just heard about the new redshirt rule introduced by the NCAA. The coaches have been on the road for camps while Friday Night Lights coming up here this week and next week. But also it's been an opportunity for the coaches to make their way around the state of Nebraska on a speaking tour that really took the better part of Monday and Tuesday. HuskerOnline.com was out in full force at these events and we had a chance to catch up with several different Husker assistant coaches. Let's first start out in Kearney when we had a chance to visit with Nebraska's offensive coordinator Troy Walters. Well coach uh, first of all kind of you guys catch your breath yet it's been it's been quite a summer and off season for you guys here. Yeah it's been an awesome summer Um, we've been kind of traveling around working satellite camps um, you know going out seeing some great football players uh, sharing the Nebraska logo worldwide, and and it's, it's been awesome. In fact, myself and Coach Verdusco just got back from the USC camp in uh, California, and uh, it's good to go around now to tour Nebraska and and just uh, inform the fans of uh, uh, where we are, uh, where we're going, and uh, just meet different people. And, and uh, you know, I'm excited about the opportunity. The recruiting at Nebraska, it's probably been different than what you're used to. I mean, in Florida, you guys could pretty much go to Georgia and Florida and, and call it a day. And uh, just the amount of work it takes at Nebraska to get around the country, how big of an adjustment has that been? Uh, not really big for me because uh, when I was at Colorado, we had to uh, recruit nationally. Um, a little different from uh, Florida, but uh, all the coaches we have on staff, we have connections everywhere. Um, and so it's, it's been pretty easy to get around and just uh, tap into those contacts. And, and Nebraska sells, the end sells. So wherever you go, there's excitement, there's, there's enthusiasm. Uh, the guys are excited about what we're about to do at Nebraska. And so uh, um, it's been awesome. It really has going into schools and, and meeting young men and, and, and showing them why Lincoln is a special place. It's, it's been great. Do you have a bet on how many times today you'll be asked who will be the starting quarterback? Uh, that's Coach Verduzco's. Uh, that's his. Uh, that's his answer. Um, you know, we feel like we've got a lot of capable quarterbacks, and uh, you know, every there's nothing set in stone. Uh, we start fall camp. Guys are going to be competing for jobs, uh, and so they understand that this summer is important to get stronger, to get in shape. Uh, to learn to master the playbook so that when fall camp comes, it's going to be a great competition. When you look at Adrian, though, and you compare him to other younger quarterbacks you have, I mean, just the advantage of having him early, how has that paid off? And, and maybe how much further ahead is he than a typical guy that would just be coming in now? Yeah, definitely an advantage getting in, learning the playbook, uh, learning the system, learning the culture, uh, going through workouts. Um, he's definitely ahead of someone that would have come in uh, right now in June. And so, uh, you know, that's been beneficial for him. Uh, Anytime you're a quarterback, you've got to be a leader. Um, And I think all the quarterbacks have shown that they um, command leadership, that the guys around them uh, respect what they do and, 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 and want to play for them. And so that's, that's, that's always good. And, um, 
you know, this summer is going to be big, that the guys continue to grow, continue to get in the playbook, continue to uh, get stronger, faster, and so that uh, we're a better team come fall. Do you think it's easier to recruit when you play such an up-tempo, kind of a fast, fun style of offense in a way? Do you think it's more easier to recruit kids because they want to come to Nebraska and play for a system like that? Yeah, certain positions. You know, skill position, guys want to, you know, catch the ball and, and, and play in a fast and up-paced offense. Um, but what we try to sell, not only the offense, but the coaching staff, um, the culture, uh, being a part of the Nebraska and the fans, the, the, the support. Um, you know, we've got great coaches that care about young men. And uh, we feel like uh, when guys come and they're part of that culture, they can be successful. As far as, far as quarterback recruiting, are you, are you guys looking at taking more than one this year? I mean, kind of what's your big picture plans with the position as you kind of start to look ahead? Yeah, uh, you never know. Right now we feel like one's enough. Uh, you know, we've got to commit and we're excited about that. Uh, you never know what's going to happen between now and, and signing date. So that could change. Um, but uh, we're also looking now to 2020 and the future and, and who we can bring in. And so, uh, you know, as, as coaches and as recruiters, you're always uh, recruiting until until it's over. So you never know, you know, how many guys you're gonna you're gonna take. And Coach Verdusco does a great job recruiting uh, quarterbacks and, and maintaining relationships with with all the guys because uh, there's a lot of time between now and signing day. What are you looking for in the camps that you're going to run in Lincoln Friday night light camps? You've been all over the mm -hmm. country. Will there be anything different about what you guys do in Lincoln as opposed to what you go see elsewhere? Uh, we want guys to have fun. Uh, we're opening it up to the public, so we want uh, the kids that come to, to have fun, to experience Nebraska football and the excitement that surrounds even a, a football camp. And, uh, and then we want to see guys compete and, and get after it. And, and uh, there's, some, there's a lot of evaluation that goes into it, but uh, we want guys to come and have fun, compete, and, and leave better than when they came. And they're going to get great coaching. Um, we're going to teach them skills and, 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 and uh, knowledge and, and things that they can take back with them that they can become better high school football players. So that's what we're looking forward to. I know you're not supposed to have contact uh, with a lot of the players, but what do you know, what can you tell us about how the team has progressed since the spring game? Oh, they're getting after it. Um, you know, in the weight room with Coach Duvall and his staff, um, you know, there's, we're limited on, on the uh, amount of time we can spend with the young men, but uh, I know at uh, most positions they're getting in the film room, watching extra film, watching the cut-ups of spring practice. Um, and, and there's a lot of excitement around in the weight room, in the office. Um, guys are excited, ready to get on the field and prove uh, that uh, we're going to be a good football team. And, you know, I've read some you know, publications, preseason publications, and they picked us to win five games, six games, and finish fifth, and whatever it is. And I think the guys we're using that as motivation because we know we're we're better than that. And so it's all about the process and and uh, getting better this summer. Since Ryan's not here, another question that I'm sure will be asked a lot: Any update on Trey Bryant's status? Uh, I don't have any. He's working hard, uh, rehabbing. Um, hopefully he can uh, get over the hump and we can have him this fall. But uh, to me, I think it, I think it's day to day. But I know I, I see him in the in the weight room. I see him in the in the training room, uh, rehabbing, getting after it. And and I think at the pace he's going, and and that uh, hopefully we'll get him back. I know it's a newer rule, but how many hours a week again do you get with the team during this time of the season? Well, it's based on what, how, how long Coach Duvall needs. And so we'll get probably two hours a week with the guys and, and be able to meet with them and, and uh, just continue to uh, take the next step forward and, and watch spring and, and see how we can get better from spring and, and uh, maybe install some new concepts so that when we hit the ground running and fall, uh, they're ready to go. And that's just meeting time or even on the field without a, like no football drills, obviously, but it's on the, I mean, what, what kind of stuff can you guys do? Yeah, mo it's mainly meeting time. Um, you know, they really limit what you can do on the field with them. So it's a lot more meeting, t meeting time. Uh, they'll be on the field with Coach Duvall. That's the key on the field is just getting in shape, um, conditioning, um, getting faster, uh, getting stronger. And then uh, we, we'll, we'll utilize the meeting time for them to learn the offense better. And so that, uh, and they'll do a lot of things on their own. They'll go out on the field with a ball and run seven on seven, run team. Um, we call it player led practices. And uh, I think it helps grow each guy as leaders. And, and, and they kind of, they know what to expect. They know what we want. And they're able to go out there and execute. 
When you look at your top four to five receivers, I mean, a lot of people think it's as good as any in the Big Ten. Just from your perspective, guys you've worked with, how does this group stack up right now when you go into a season to kind of knowing what you have after the spring? Yeah, I think we can be the best in the, I think we can be the best in the country. Um, I love the guys that we have. They're working their tails off. They're, they're getting in the meeting room, studying. Um, you know, Stanley's the leader, the alpha. Um, you know, he's excited. He wants to uh, finish off on a great note. And then JD and Tyjon, and we got a lot of young guys coming in that are that are hungry, and they've already gotten into the playbook and and, and studying it. And uh, I think the competition uh, this fall is going to make us all better. And uh, I'm excited about the group, and uh, and they continue to work their their tails off. Does Woodyard run as fast as he looks on film? Yeah, that's what I've heard. I have not seen him run, um, but uh, I've heard. In fact, uh, Monday or Last Friday, Stanley came in and said that uh, Woodyard is, is real fast. So I know if it's coming from Stanley, that means something. Coach, your style in the Big Ten, which is supposed to be a meat grinder, yeah. run it. Uh, what do you say to the people that uh, aren't sure if this style works in the Big Ten? Well, you know, perception is we're, a, we're finesse spread, but we're going to be physical. And then it all starts up front with the offensive line coming off the ball setting. A new line of scrimmage and so we're going to be physical we're going to try to run the football um, and if we when we do that then it's going to open up the passing game and uh, you know we're going to be multiple with a lot of formations uh, we're going to use tempo to our advantage um, but what can't get lost is with the tempo is that we're going we're going to be a physical unit and uh, and uh, excited about the offensive line the depth that we have and coach Austin does a great job and and I know uh, when the season starts, those guys are going to be ready to go. What's your plan at center now that Michael Decker, we know, is going to retire from the game? I mean, are you looking at Farmer? Are you looking at Conrad? I mean, who, who, what kind of direction are you going there yeah, right all now? Those guys, you know, we, we uh, Coach Austin does a great job of training all those guys to play multiple positions. And so, uh, you know, when we recruit, we recruit athletes and guys that can play guard and also tackle and tackles uh, or centers that can also play guards, guards and play center. So. Um, all those guys are working. We'll get out in the fall and, and kind of see who our best seven, eight guys are. And, uh, and uh, you know, those are, those are the guys that are going to play. You feel like you're ahead of schedule as compared to where you were at this point with Central Florida? Def way? Definitely. Um, first of all, as a staff, we're ahead. You know, we got to UCF. Uh, you know, we had to learn the offense um, as a staff, learn the culture, learn how Coach Frost wanted things done. And so now that we're in our third year together, we know exactly what needs to be done. We know the offense, we know schemes, we know techniques. And so we're further ahead as a staff. And, uh, and that makes, means the players are further ahead because we know how to install. We know um, what to install. And really, the guys really picked this offense up faster here than they did at UCF and, and eager to learn and uh, excited when we got here. They got in the meeting rooms, got in, got in the film study. and. Uh, you know, and, and they picked up the offense, and and we finished spring ahead of ahead of where we were at UCF, and and now we've got to just continue to take that next step this summer and get stronger and faster, and and continue to learn the nuances of the of the offense, and if we do that, then uh, we can hit the field running in the fall. Coach, the fan base is excited. Obviously, um, strength of schedule early on was predicted as about second in the nation. Yep. Obviously, that comes with a lot of pressure. Yep. Um, but obviously an optimistic fan base. Uh, what does that kind of say to you having such a hard schedule we have? Ahead? Yeah, first of all, we don't, we don't see it as pressure. Uh, we see that as an opportunity to show what Nebraska football is all about. We're excited. I'm excited about the schedule. Um, open up with Akron and then have Colorado Buffaloes, that old rivalry coming into town, and then Troy, who's a good football team, but, uh, and then the Big Ten. And, and we love the schedule. We, we want to play the best. In order to be the best, you got to beat the best. And so we're excited. Um, excited to play at home the first three games in front of our fans. And uh, I think the guys, when they're working out, they understand um, the schedule. And when they work out, they're not working out just to work out. They're working out because they know they've got to be in shape for the Michigans, for the Colorados, the Akron's, the Troy's, the Ohio State's. And, and uh, you know, you can't go through the motions with the schedule we're playing. And so it's exciting. And we're going to take on all comers. And uh, we're ready to go. 
And thanks again to Nebraska offensive coordinator Troy Walters as we caught up with him at First National Bank in Kearney during the assistant coaches tour on Tuesday. When we come back, we're going to hear from another assistant coach, Nebraska's QB coach, Mario Verdusco. He's had a very, very busy last couple of days, and uh, we'll get his thoughts on a number of different topics. That's next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, as we just heard from Nebraska's offensive coordinator, Troy Walters, out in Kearney. We also heard now from another coach out in Kearney. Let's catch up with Nebraska's quarterbacks coach, Mario Verdusco. Is the name is starting quarterback today? Or? No. no. That, that isn't going to happen for a while. What, um, when you look at that group, what do you like about it right now here in June? Uh, they're all athletic. They're all working hard. And I think they've taken it to heart to support each other. You know, that's really important. You know, we play a pretty high-pressure position. And it's good they support each other. So that's, that's been good. Those, those, uh, I'm excited about that. What are the things you will specifically be looking at when you get back to fall camp that will separate and eventually make your decision? Their performance on the field through practice. You know, and can they command the offense? Do they have a mastery of everything that we're doing? I think those uh, those sorts of things and how they perform from practice to practice, and um, that'll be a, a big factor. But then along with that, you know, um, sometimes uh, what has to happen is how they practice. If that ends up happening uh, in terms of uh, one guy getting a nod over another, then that has to happen on uh, on game day as well, you know. Uh, some guys, as you know, can be pretty good practice players, and then for whatever reason, you know, game day, it, it, it doesn't look quite the same. And so that has to translate. So it's an evaluation process that is going to go through, obviously, fall camp and then uh, even during the season. But by and large, more often than not, uh, a young guy, regardless of his age at the quarterback position, will, will typically – perform game day like he does in practice for the most part. It's rare that the other would, would happen differently. Is the situation pretty similar to your first year at Central Florida? Mackenzie Milton was a true freshman. You had another veteran guy there as well, and you kind of had to weigh that at how you wanted to manage that going into your first season at a new school. Well, it's different for a variety of reasons, uh, one of which is that Mackenzie was not with us in, in, uh, in spring ball. That's the first most important factor. The second factor is where there isn't a veteran returning. There isn't a player in our room that's taken a snap yet. So that's, that, that is completely different. There's, from the standpoint of having a young guy uh, like Adrian come in, that, that piece of the puzzle is certainly similar, yeah. Kind of sticks out to you on film when you watch Tristan Adrian play that they had to do better come fall. And then I'm sorry? Games. What kind of sticks out when you watch Tristan and Adrian play from a uh, – just, I guess, an execution perspective, what do they have to do better? Well, I, you know, through spring ball, they, they performed uh, well. And I, and I think w what you, you have to remember is, you know, it's Adrian and Tri Don't forget about Andrew Bunch now. You know, he did a nice job in spring, and he had a nice spring game. And you got to remember he was competing against uh, our quote-unquote first defense and so on and so forth. Um, but – uh, I think for those guys, you know, it's, it's just a matter of experience and getting reps because every experience is, is new within the framework of the offense they're learning. And they both, all, all of them started from the ground up. So there really wasn't an advantage with regards to, um, well, someone's been here before and all that sort of stuff. But just getting settled into um, the offense and so that you, you, you gain sort of a, a memory bank, if you will, of experiences. Oh, I've seen that before. I know exactly what to do. You, you know what I'm saying? So uh, that, that, that part of it will come, no doubt. And uh, I suspect that they're going to be much more effective and efficient early on in fall camp just because of the experience that they had in spring ball. We never asked you this before, but when Scott was at Oregon, can't ask me now. <laughs> when, when he was at Oregon all those years, um, yeah. and the, I mean, how much did you guys stay in touch, and how did you reconnect to get to UCF when he when he took that job? Uh, we, you know, we would communicate, you know, but you know, you're always busy, so uh, I would text him or 
and he would get back to me and so on and so forth if I had a question about one thing or another or vice versa. But then when he took over as, um, as the quarterback coach and offensive coordinator, he called me up and wanted me to fly back out for about four days, and we spent a lot of time together and had a, a good time talking about quarterback play and all that sort of business. You know, that was awesome. And then um, I was able to uh, get information from him about uh, what they did on offense, so that was awesome because I wanted to take that back and start developing that with our with our team back at Northern Iowa. So um, that's kind of when it started to happen. So, you know, when it all shakes out, maybe that maybe those four days was a, a freaking interview. You know? <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was, I don't know, but anyhow. Coach, Coach Frost has been – Everywhere. I mean, he's in the Grand Canyon. He's getting national. Yeah, yeah. How do you think he's handling all this since you've known him uh, a long time, more than, than us on a personal level? How do you think he's handling all this non-X and O stuff? Oh, I, 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 from my perspective, you know, you guys know Frosty as well as anybody as a player. He was unflappable, right? And so I haven't noticed any change in him in any way, shape, or form. He is still the same way he was even when I'm – Remember him back at Northern Iowa, you know. So I haven't noticed any change whatsoever. You ever think about that? All you guys around Northern Iowa, I think DeWitt and Schneider yeah, myself and, and Chins and DeWitt. Yeah, it's, it's it's crazy, right? It's interesting. Um, so it was it was good uh, from that standpoint, at least for me. Uh, you know, I had some familiarity with with Chins and and with uh, Coach DeWitt. So that was that was. That was, that was fun. Then obviously I got a chance to know Coach Walters and the rest of the guys on the staff and to find out they're tremendous ball coaches, you know. So it's, it's been good. Have there been any standouts on the team that you've been noticing over, well, since this past spring, I guess? Me personally? Yeah. Oh, you know, I, I get so focused on just the guys that I coach. Mm -hmm. It's almost like I have no idea what the hell else is going <laughs> on. So, I mean, it's all about those guys for me. You know, I don't, I don't look at it. Like Coach Walters is our coordinator, so he takes a more global uh, sort of uh, perspective and evaluation. You, you know what I'm saying? Uh -huh. You know, it's my job just to ensure that our quarterbacks can bring his vision of a game plan to life. That's that's what we we've got to be able to do in in, in our room. You know, uh -huh. um, so I. It's mostly just focused on my guys, yeah. And thanks again to Nebraska quarterbacks coach Mario Verdusco as he's sure going to have a busy summer trying to get things figured out with what direction he wants to go with that position here in this 2018 season. All right, when we come back, we'll shift the focus back over to recruiting as Nate Klaus will get us geared up for Friday Night Lights Camp number one. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online show, as we just heard from both Mari Verdusco, Nebraska quarterbacks coach, and offensive coordinator Troy Walters. Now we're going to shift back over to recruiting as Nebraska will hold their first of two Friday Night Lights camps this weekend, along with a seven-on-seven -seven event. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus here as Friday Night Lights. This will be, um, what, Nate, the fourth year um, they've done the event. It started under Mike Riley uh, the first year. You know, it, it, it had the potential to really get going, and then it was really years two and three we saw this thing take off. And it was one of the things that Scott Frost said when I got here. Obviously, he wasn't a big fan of a lot of things that went on the last three years, but he said this was one of the things that really got my attention. I said, I want to keep doing this at Nebraska, hold the Friday Night Lights camp. Last year we saw him what, seven, 8,000 fans in Memorial Stadium, which was more than the Class A state championship yeah. game got. And it will be interesting to see. I, I think this first one is going to be a little bit on the lighter, and I'm sure we'll see about three or 4,000 fans there. But ideally, I think that camp on uh, Friday, June 22nd, is going to be the big one again. Yeah, the, the, definitely. The June 22nd one is is kind of the, the camp where – um, it's looking like a lot of the offered players or, or the players that are close to, to gaining offers, you know, the, the guys that are already on the radar heavily, um, you know, that's the camp that seems to be the one where everyone's kind of being directed to go to and, and will probably have a little higher competition level. But, um, but every year at, at these camps, there's been some surprises to come out of them. Um, you know, and, and I go, I always go back to the, to that very first one where Cameron Jurgens was, was basically 
basically discovered where he put kind of put his name on, on the map, you know, and, um, and, and you're right, you know, that, that first year under Mike Riley, it was, it was a good camp, no doubt, but it was not anywhere near what we saw in, in years. That was two when Cam and Jurgens was there, right? Yeah, that was year one. Um, but, and so I, I'm kind of, I'm thinking that that's probably going to be a similar trajectory w- under this new coaching staff. I, I think that year one will probably still be really good camps, but, um, you know, by year two and year three of the Scott Frost era, I, I, I think that we will really see these things kind of take a step up because, um, what we're going to see here over the next two weeks is not going to compare to, to what we saw last year when you had, um, you know, five-star and Micah Parsons and Buki radley Hile and Joshua Moore and Cameron Brown and, you know, all the kids from Trinity Catholic out of St. Louis. And, I mean, you, you had double-digit four- and five-star guys. Not none of them came to Nebraska. Yeah, none of them came to Nebraska. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the, the talent level was just unreal. And, and um, like I said, I, I think this is going to be two really good camps, but it's not really going to reach that that level this year. But um, for sure, you, you have is to Is McCaffrey like, coming next week, Nate? Um, it's – it's unclear if he's going to make it uh, yet next week. Um, I know that he's talked about it. They've talked it with him about it. Uh, so there's a chance that he could come and work out and throw. Uh, I know they would like him to because there's going to be some wide receivers like Jamie Nance out of Oklahoma um, and potentially some guys out of the St. Louis area that are that are going to be at that camp. So obviously it would be nice to have your quarterback there just like Tristan Jebbia, you know, came and, um, and, and threw at, at, uh, at the Friday Night Lights when – when he was committed to Nebraska before he got here too, so um, so we'll see what happens there. But um, yeah, I think that uh, you know overall, it, there's going to be some surprises, and and that's probably the most intriguing part of it all to me right now is is who's who's going to be the guy to kind of put their name on the map and, and really step up at one of these things. And honestly, I do think it's important, Nate, to have a quarterback at the camp that's legit because last year Nebraska wasn't planning on taking a quarterback and. The camp was, you know, had a lot of players there, but we saw a lot of bad, badly thrown balls during one-on-ones because there wasn't a high-level quarterback throwing the balls like the year before when Tristan Jebbia was throwing the balls at the camp. And the year before that, I don't know if O'Brien, I guess, I don't know if he was at the camp. Maybe he was. I'm trying to remember. But just having a quality quarterback or two in the camp is pretty important as far as if you're trying to put a show on for the crowd. Oh, yeah, it's huge. Well, and and, and if you're a wide receiver, you, you uh, nothing's more frustrating than if uh, if you're going out there and competing against top-level cornerback um, and, and the quarterback can't get you the ball. You know, I, I think that it, when you're in a one-on-one setting, you, you need to have a quarterback that can deliver the football. And, and so, yeah, that's, that's definitely, you know, another layer to all this, um, you know, at all these camps that we've been to. And, uh, I mean, that's something that I think that a lot of wide receivers get, get frustrated with is when there's a, you know, when they get paired up with a quarterback during their, can't their, the ball. their one-on-one rep, you know, and sometimes these reps get a little competitive and, and hard to come by. Uh, and the quarterback that they get is is off the mark or just can't get him the ball. So uh, that that's definitely something that you want to have at, at your camp. You want to have a good, solid group of quarterbacks that can deliver the football. And that's why I always think the very the second year, the the first one that Buki was at was the better of the two because the quarterback play was good. But we saw just spectacular plays in the on the field where you saw guys that were just making play after play catch after catch because it was it was crisp where I think the year the, the year where we had all the fans there and it was supposed to be even a bigger and better year didn't quite deliver the same show because of that reason yeah th- there's no doubt about it I, I think that that's uh I mean it was still an a good show yeah, yeah it was still an impressive showing but um when you when you've got a top level quarterback a division one you know no-brainer quarterback, especially if he's a guy that's going to Nebraska uh, to to show off a little bit too. That's that's definitely um, you know something that the crowd's going to like and the players are definitely going to like as well. Heck, maybe Scott Frost will start slinging some balls on Friday night. I'm be, sure the crowd would love to see that. Well, he runs the option in practice, so I don't know why he couldn't get out there and, and complete some passes. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we uh, get you ready for Friday Night Lights. And it will be 7-on-7 this weekend, too. They're expecting around 20 teams or so 
out here in the camp. Um, you know, this will be the first year they've done this since Bo Pelini's first season. So it's almost been, Nate, 10 years since we've seen a seven-on-seven event in Lincoln. Uh, K-State's been doing one for many, many years. Um, it was something Bill Callahan wanted to get going, um, and, you know, he tried to get it going. Pelini just, and his guys just didn't want to keep that deal going. But um, Frost had great success with seven-on-sevens in, in <clears throat> Central Florida. In fact, they ran two camps yeah. that brought in 64 teams. Uh, they would like to get it to 32 in Lincoln, and then hopefully someday maybe you have two of these things. Yeah, and I think that's that is a huge, huge opportunity to get a ton of players on your campus and to to evaluate talent. Um, I mean, I don't know why they ever stopped doing it. Well, I mean, I've got my theories, but because um, it is a lot of work to put on a tournament, obviously. So, um, but it's it just it never made sense to me why you would get rid of it. I know uh, under Bill Callahan, um, they they put a lot of time and effort in, in getting that thing off the ground and and really kind of try to set it up for the long haul for that for it to kind of be uh, a destination tournament where you were drawing elite seven on seven teams from all over the country to, to come play in this tournament and um, you know and under Bo Pelini after the first year that they did it they just kind of threw it in the trash so uh, I, I think this is a, a smart thing um, and there's going to be guys there's going to be players that, that get offers out of this deal uh, but more than anything I think it's just it's great to have an opportunity to have so many different teams and, and kids to, to come to your campus uh, for you to be in front of those players and for the players to see what you know your facilities and, and what your program's all about I mean there's so many different levels here uh, that are that go into something like this beyond just having a seven on seven tournament that are beneficial for everybody but they're making this more for teams like high school teams they don't want I mean they're not trying to get the yeah. all-star adidas sponsored teams and things like that out here yeah yeah that's it's more geared towards high school teams right now but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if if the thing if it continues to grow I wouldn't be surprised if if it if maybe if it turns into two tournaments if one of them is more of a travel team more of that the elite you know Adidas sponsored team type of deal it's and to me it's more getting the local teams in Nebraska I know our, our friend Mike Sauter has put one together um, at the World Herald now is involved with and that thing has grown a little bit each oh, yeah. year but Seven on seven is still kind of a foreign language in the state of Nebraska, and it's picked up more and more. Our friends like Coach Mike Huffman at Bellevue West and other you know great minds that that really want to work on this aspect of the game, but we're still probably one of the states, especially when you consider the level of football that's expected to be played in Lincoln on Saturdays, that is pretty far behind with the seven on seven aspect. Yeah, I think you could say that, and, and more than anything, I think it's just kind of maybe a midwestern thing where you don't have spring football you don't have you know you don't have these leagues multi-sport athletes yeah you get multi-sport athletes it's it's not something that you can really work on year round i mean when you when you look at florida and, and texas and california and california i mean uh, you're, you're seven on seven team. Not only are you working with your high school team, but a lot of these guys are, are on these elite teams that we talked about. It's basically like an AAU basketball It's about 10 team. straight weeks of stuff, yeah, right? At I mean. least. And, and there's off season workouts. And I mean, there's a lot that goes into, uh, into this. And I mean, these, I think when you, when you kind of step away and look at it, a lot of these athletes are, are involved in seven on seven, probably six months out of the year in some, in some form. Um, and, and definitely in the spring and on into the summer, there's at least 10 to 12 weeks of, of straight action where there's tournaments and, and, you know, competitions every weekend for, for two or three months in a row. All right. Well, that puts a wrap on this week's show. We're going to have plenty of coverage, though, of Nebraska's first Friday Night Lights camp, as well as the 7-on-7, seven seven, as Nate and I and our video producer, Greg Peterson, will be out in full force providing you top-notch coverage here of the weekend festivities in Lincoln. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.